Well, let me welcome you again to our ongoing series entitled More Than Conquerors. We're looking at chapter 8 of the book of Romans, a fantastic chapter considered by many Bible scholars as one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And today we're going to look at one of the greatest truths that we find in the Bible as well. And it's found here especially in Romans chapter 8. And it's a truth that God adopts us into his family. You know, when I was in seminary, one of the things that was required of me is to go on a field education experience for one year. It's called internship. And I went out to a city called Cromwell, Connecticut. I spent a year at Cromwell, Connecticut, serving as an associate pastor. That was a unique, growing time. But what really made it unique is that in, in that location, not only was I an associate pastor at the church, but I also had a role to play in an ongoing ministry that the church had to a ch children's home that was located right on this whole area called Hilltop Ministry, a children's church and also a retirement village. And so, I mean, I spent a lot of my time at all three places. But the place that I found my most uh, meaningful experience and the most joy was really spending it at the children's home. And my heart really went out for those kids who were living in that children's home because for many of them, that children's home, that institution that they were in, would be the only home that they would know as they were growing up. And so they would spend maybe all the way from being a young child who was brought to the home until they became an adult when they could leave and, and go off on their own. But every so often, uh, one of those children would have the wonderful privilege of having a family come in and say they wanted to adopt that child. And, and there would be a special quality of, of uh, joy that was experienced not only in the child, but in the whole children's home. I mean, there was actually a celebration that would take place for every one of those children that would have that wonderful privilege of being given the opportunity to, to be brought into a family setting and, and to live as a child of a, of a family. And what's fascinating to me to watch, in, instead of some of the kids, and, and, many, and many of the kids who were there, they would spend, I mean, their whole childhood at the home. And so they would know nothing of what it's like to be in a regular household from the time that they came there to the time that they would leave there. But as I said, every so often there would be a child that would have that opportunity to go to a home. And there was a great celebration would take place. But, you know, what I noticed was that there was no jealousy among those kids who knew that they would never be able to go to a, a, a family setting, who never knew that they would never be adopted into a home. But they celebrated just as everybody else celebrated because they knew what it meant for that child that was given the privilege of being adopted is that they were now going to be a part of a real family and they were going to be able to live in a real home. Adoption. I mean, it, the, the word itself communicates so much, doesn't it? And that's why God uses it to describe what it's like to, to live a life of faith with him. And so today we're going to talk about adoption as it's found in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to turn, if you have your Bibles with you this morning uh, as you're, or this afternoon as you're watching online, feel free to turn with me to Romans 8 if you would like as well. But we're going to focus on four verses this morning, verses 14 through 17. And as our practice is, let's pray before we start. So join with me in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful truth that we're going to learn about today. I mean, we understand what it is to be adopted into your family because most of us here have been adopted into your family. But Father, even with us just talking about it, it brings that reality to home again to us of how special we are to have a God who looks down upon us and wants us to be a part of his family, not slaves in a household, but members of, 
of family, children, and daughters, and sons in a household of faith. And so as I bring some of this truth to bear on our lives today, Father, just let it be an inspiration to us and a celebration for us to you for what you've done in our lives through your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, again, we offer this time up to you. Give us insight of the heart that you have for each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me begin just this morning by reading for you the verses that we're going to look at today. Here's how it starts. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so that's a qualification for us right away, that, that the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. For you do not receive, a, uh, receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, it says sons, but it really means sons and daughters. problem in that day and age is that uh, girls could not be adopted, only boys and sons could be adopted, and so that's why it really just says sons, and it'll use sons the whole time. But really, it refers to all of us, boys and girls, men and women, and so daughters and sons. So it means both. And so again, the, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, just let that sink in, because this is such a fantastic promise to us, a fantastic passage to look at, because when it comes to our salvation, I mean, it's more than just us having our sins forgiven, having our, our, the guilt taken away. It's more than us just being given the, the hope that we have in eternity, that life will go on and on and on, and so we have an eternity in heaven with God. It's really the idea that one of the parts of our salvation is that we've been made adopted children of God. I mean, what a, that's the privilege that we're talking about. It's just a fantastic thing. And think of it, the God of the universe adopting you, the God of the universe adopting me. I mean, here's a God who's, who's in charge of the whole universe, and what's important on him? to him, it's that you and I become part of his family so much so that he adopts us into that family uh, household. And I can't help but think of the scriptures that talk about how you and I are children of God. I mean, when John wrote his gospel, one of the first things he tells us that for all who have received him, to all those who believe in his, his name, he gave the right or the authority or the privilege to become children of God. John knew that with belief, with receiving of Christ came the adoption into the family of God. And not only did he say that, but, he, but Paul indicated that as well. So you go back to, to Ephesians chapter 1, this great treatise by Paul to the believers in Ephesus. And he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Okay, before the world was formed, in eternity past, God chose you, God chose me, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will so to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now let me read it in the, in the message translation or version and because I just think it captures a little bit more of this wonderful truth about adoption. He settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy in his love. 
Long, long ago, he decided what? To adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. And so when we're talking about adoption, we're talking about going into a family and becoming children of that family. Now, when adoption, we understand this. If you know anything about the adoption, you know that it's really a legal procedure. It's a legal action that's taken. A legal action by which a person or a couple takes into their own family a child and makes that child uh, one of their sons or daughters. Not a child from birth, but a child that's given all the rights and all the privileges that comes with being a ch child in that family. And, and those of you who have adopted children into your family or adopted a child into your family, I know some of you have done that, you understand that there's no distinction either when, in your understanding of that child that was born through the natural process in your family that shares your DNA, that shares your bloodline, and the child that was brought into your family through adoption. There's, that no matter what the biological um, beginning was of that child, was it in your family or outside your family, you consider that adopted child just as much a part of your children. They are just as much a part of your kids as the kids who are sharing your DNA. And so that's, that's this wonderful truth about adoption, that they come in and they become part of the family in the essence of what makes this family a unit. That's adoption, okay? And here's what I find interesting. In, in the first century, when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome, it's not the biological children who are more honored in the family, it was the adopted children. I mean, think of that. It was the adopted children. They were more honored. To be adopted carried a, a special privilege. It was literally an honor to be adopted. And, and, it, and it happened not only when a child was born that they were then maybe adopted into another family, but it was in, happened throughout any part of a person's life that they could be adopted. See, and so it's not that they just were born into a family, it's that they were chosen to be a part of that family. I mean, this is what made it such an honor to be uh, part of an adoption experience. And it's interesting that when it came to Roman adoption, it, it, a man could see a son that belonged to another man, and he had the ability and the right to go and seek to adopt that son to be his own son. I mean, it, it didn't matter. Sometimes it would happen because that father didn't have his own son, so he wanted to adopt an, another son into his family to have a son in the family. Sometimes it happened because a man would look at his own son and think, you know, they're not going to measure up to the standard that I would love to have my son measure up to. And so what they would do is they'd see this other son that had the kind of character qualities that, that he, this dad would like to have in his own family, and he would go and seek to be able to purchase the son through adoption, to become part of his own family. And so he had the possibility of adopting another man's son as, an own, as his own. And you think, well, how often did that happen? Well, it actually happened, happened more often than we would like to think. It, it was pretty common in that day in Rome for people to be able to do that. In fact, it, when it comes to the who-who of the emperors who ruled the empire of Rome, in the first 200 years of the Roman Empire, most every one of the emperors were adopted. And so you have the first one, Octavius, and Octavius was adopted by Julius Caesar. 
And when Octavius became the emperor, he, he had then adopted Tiberius, who wasn't his natural-born son, but he adopted him and made him son. When Tiberius became emperor, then he adopted Caligula. Caligula then went on to adopt Nero. He was adopted. Then came Trajan. He was adopted. Then came Hadrian, who was adopted. Then Antonius, who was adopted. Then Marcus Aurelius, who was adopted. Then Lucius Verus, who was adopted. I mean, all of these emperors were not emperors because of the birth, but they were emperors because they were adopted into the family of those who were able to pass on the ability to become the next emperor. And so to be adopted was a great honor. Now, the adoption in Rome actually happened in a two-step process. The first step they called mansipatio. And, and we get our word, and it doesn't mean the exact same thing, but we get our word um, emancipation from that. And it has some of the same ideas with it. It would happen with, is that the father would gather to witnesses together, and then he had to get a scale, a, a balancing scale, and he had bring gold and silver and copper to be put on that scale. And then what he would do is he would go through an act of buying that son uh, from somebody else. He would, he would go through the act of buying that son back. First of all, he'd go through the act of selling that son, I should say. Then he'd buy that son back, go through the act of buying the son back. Then he'd go through the same thing again. He'd go through an action of selling his son, putting the, the gold pieces on the scale, and then buying the son back. And then the third time when he went through it, now be, this became the time when it really was actually taking place. And in that moment, the right, then at that moment, the rights of the father of that son would be severed. Now, that was the first step, mansipatio. The second step is uh, vindicatio. And what would happen then is that the father would then, this a new adopting father would take his son with him and they'd go down before the magistrate and then they would make it a legal event that would. Uh, represent the legal adoption. And at that point, there would be seven witnesses who would witness it and then guarantee the fact that this child had now become the, the son of this new father. And when that was complete, see, then everything changed. And there were major results that happened because of them. In fact, let me give you the four results that took place. First of all, and I, I'm going to write these down so you can see them online. First of all, the adopted son lost all rights of his old family and gained all the rights in his new family. And so there's a severance of the old with the new. And so that would end, this would begin. Number two, the adopted son became the full heir of his new father's estate, even if there was other sons. In other words, here's the honor that adopted son was given. They would be the ones that would receive the entirety of the of the estate. Not the natural born ones, but the one who got adopted was honored in such a way that he received the entirety of the estate. Third, the adopted son's old life was completely wiped away. In other words, what that's saying is that um, if there was debt, they would be canceled. If there was uh, criminal crimes recorded, they would be expunged. And so, it was as if the life of this son, the previous life as a son, is no longer in existence. And finally, fourth, the adopted son was literally and completely the son of the new father in every sense. Okay? Now, take that all together 
And then let's look at how that just fits in so well with their understanding of God adopting us. Because it fits the same. So here's the Roman adoption. The first thing that happened is that the adopted son lost all the rights of the old life or old family and gained all the rights in the new family. What happens when we're adopted into the family of God? We get all the rights of being in the God's family, don't we? See, what was like in our old life is done, that's past. Now we have all the rights of our new life in God, in Christ. And so we get all the rights of being a child of God. Number two, in the Roman adoption, the adopted son became the full heir of his new father's estate, even if there were other sons. And you know what? That's true for us as well, isn't it? What do we get when we get to heaven and receive our inheritance? What do we get? We get everything that was given to Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the thing. All that Christ would receive, we're going to receive. And so there's the uniqueness of what's going on here. Number three, in the Roman adoption, the adopted son's old life was completely wiped away. As if it didn't exist. Bible says that anyone in Christ is a what? New creation. Behold, the old has passed away, Paul says, and the new has come. And so whatever debt we have has been canceled. Whatever wrong we've done has been expunged. It's as if the old person that we were no longer exists. And finally, fourth, in Roman adoption, the adopted son was literally and completely the son of his new father in every sense. And you know what? And that's true for us as well, isn't it? That we are like Christ in every way, that God is making us more and more like his son in every way because we have been adopted into the family of God. Now, I give you that as backdrop because what I want to talk about is what Paul talks about. What is the role of the Holy Spirit when it comes to adoption? I mean, we are adopted into the family of God. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. But what's the role that the Holy Spirit plays in the adoption that we experience? I mean, that's important to know. Because it's not just happens. It's, not, it's something that happens because God's Spirit makes it happen. Okay, so what's the part that the Spirit plays? Well, He does two things for us. First of all, He confirms to us the adoption And second of all, he confirms to us the inheritance we receive because of our adoption. He affirms to us the fact that we are adopted. Okay, so let me say it like this. The Holy Spirit confirms our sonship, or the Holy Spirit affirms your daughterhood. Okay, it confirms that you are a child of God. He bears witness, as Paul's going to say, he bears witness to our, uh, to our spirit that we are children of God. He bears witness to our spirit that we have been adopted into God's family. I mean, look at it, it says, 4, verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into the fear. I mean, God didn't give us an understanding that you're slaves, I'm your master and you're slaves, and you do what I tell you or else you'll have something to f- fear. That's not it at all, Paul says. So he didn't give us that kind of spirit, a spirit of slavery. But you have received the spirit. What kind of S is that? The big S means a Holy Spirit. You have received the Holy Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. See, in other words, what we're talking about here is we're talking about an inward witness to the fact that we really are children of God, that we really have been adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit communicates to us that we really are sons and daughters of God. And here's what that means. If you're a Christian, you know that you're a Christian because of the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life within you. It's that the Spirit bears witness to your spirit. It's that the Holy Spirit somehow communicates to you that you really are a child of God, that you really are adopted into God's family. Now, that's the internal witness. There are external witnesses to our, to our salvation and our, and our adoption into God's family as well. And John, when he writes this little letter to the church, churches as this old man who's writing his love, final love letters to the church, talks about it in, in the first letter that he writes, and he reminds us that when it comes to our life, that there are external witnesses that tell us that we really are children of God, that we walk in the light, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we're sons of God, that we walk in the light just like Christ and God are in the light. He talks about the fact that, that we love to obey the commands of God, that we are the ones who listen to his word and hear his word and heed his word, and we do the things that are required by his word. And so we're the ones who follow the commandments that God gives us. We're the ones who also the external witness to the fact that we really are, you know, children of God is that we love brothers and sisters in Christ. They are brothers and sisters. And we show that deep love for them, the, the same love that God showed us, we show to one another. And so, and that's because the there is an evidence, this outward evidence that we are, you know, members of the family of God. And then he also talks about the fact that there's an abiding strength in our lives that we will endure to the end. It's, a, it's the evidence that we know that we're going to make it. We're going to remain true, that we'll, that we'll abide in Christ all of our lives. And so these are the external confirmations that John gives us in his little letter to the churches, that we really are God's adopted children. But here Paul isn't talking about these external ones. What Paul's talking about here is the internal, the internal confirmations that we are really the children of God. And the thing is that if you don't have, and, and what it is, it's the witness of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say it again. What is the internal confirmation? It's the witness of the, of the Holy Spirit to our spirit. He bears witness that we are the children of God. And, I, and so I'm going to say this. If you don't have the witness of the Spirit that you're a child of God, I mean, there's some question if you are the child of God, because this is what how you know, one of the ways you know you're a child of God, the internal witness of the Spirit bearing witness to our spirit. But if you have the witness of the Spirit that, it, that you're a child of God, or let me say it like this, if you don't have that witness that you are a child of God, don't expect me as your pastor to be that witness to you that you are a child of God. Okay? It's not my spirit that bears witness to your spirit that you're a child of God. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness to your spirit that you're a child of God. See, and here's what I'm saying. If somebody doesn't have that witness of the Holy Spirit within them, it's not your role to be that witness. It's not my role to be that witness. So don't tell somebody, you know what, I know that you don't feel that you're a child of God, but you really are. No, 
It's not you bearing witness to this. It's the Holy Spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we're a child of God. And so he comes and he gives us that understanding that we really have come to faith, that we really have been made new in Christ, that we really have been adopted into the family of God. It's a Holy Spirit bearing witness to our spirit. Well, how does he do that? How does he do that? He does it by putting within us a spirit, a spirit that has the knowledge that God is our Father. That's the, that's the communication that we understand in our spirit, that God is our Father. And so what does he say here? He says, again, in, in verse 15, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, in the Greek, the word cry is not whisper, the word cry is kradzo, and it means to scream out. It's a loud communication. It's a cry out. You're crying out, Abba, Father. Do you know that Jesus cried that at one point in his life? That Jesus actually, to his Father in heaven, to his God the Father, he cried out those very words, Abba, Father. You know when it was? Well, it was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the garden, he cries out, Father, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, and yet not my will, but yours be done but what you will see here's our lord struggling with the fact that he's going to have to drink the cup that he knows needs to be drunk but he doesn't want to drink it because he knows the agony that he'll go through having to do that and so he's struggling there and in that moment, in, in, in the depth of his struggle, he cries out and he says, Abba, Father. The point is that when he found himself in the greatest time of distress, when he's sweating drops of blood, it's not that he turns away from God the Father and says, I'm not going to do that. It's that he turns again toward his Father. And he says, I know, Father, Father... Father, I know everything is possible with you. Nothing is impossible. And I know you can take this cup away from me, but not what I would wish, but what you have planned. Not my will, but yours be done. See, here's what I'm telling you. This is the witness of the Holy Spirit to our, to our spirit. See, it's the witness where we say, God, you're in charge. You're in control of my life. It's not what I will, but it's what you will. And so have your way in my life. And we cry it out to him so that he can hear that this is our heart as well. It's our spirit crying out to his spirit. It's his spirit bearing witness to our spirit. Remember how we talked last week that, there's a, that in our lives we have the ability to be controlled by our flesh, 
or by our spirit. And one of the witnesses to the fact that it's a spirit-to-spirit connection between you and me and our Father in heaven is that in those moments of danger and distress and heartbreak, we cry out to him, Abba, Abba, Father, not what I want, but what you want. That's what Jesus cried. And so if you, if you are listening to the witness of the Spirit, it comes across to you, the witness of the Spirit, is that you understand that your Heavenly Father is your Father. And so the Spirit confirms our adoption. That's what He does. He confirms the fact that we really are adopted because we really do call God the Father of our lives. Let me give you the other thing that the Holy Spirit does. He confirms our inheritance. And this, too, is fantastic. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Remember how I said that when it came to Roman adoption, the adopted son received the entire inheritance of the father? Remember how we said that? See, that's what's waiting for us in heaven as the adopted children of God. Galatians 4 says it like this, you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. See, See, that means this. We've been made as heir. We're going to receive the inheritance that comes to his heirs. Peter calls the inheritance what? The inheritance that we have, Peter says, it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. That's the inheritance that's waiting for us. An inheritance that is incorruptible, it's not going to be corrupted. It is undefilable, it's not going to be defiled, and it doesn't fade away. It's going to be there. It's going to be there waiting for us. And so what is this? What is it that we're waiting for? Well, look what it says in in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, And now in these last days he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to his Son as an inheritance. I mean, what did Jesus inherit? inherit? It says here, everything. Jesus got everything that the Father wanted him to have. And that's our inheritance as well. So what do we get? Everything that God wanted to give to his son and gave to his son, that's waiting for us when we get to heaven as well. We get everything because we are joint heirs with Christ. So everything that Christ got, God's saying, you know what? Just wait for it because it's coming and you're going to get it all for your life as well because you're one of my children. But let me tell you what I am really looking for when I get to heaven. Maybe you are too. It's not streets of gold. You know, I, I, really, when we're in heaven, does it matter to you if you walk on streets of gold or drive something down a street of gold? That makes no difference to me. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm in a big house or a little house. That's not going to be any issue to me in heaven. It doesn't matter if I got all kinds of great food to eat, banquet filled with food items. That's not what's going to matter when I get to heaven. That's not what I'm looking for as something that, oh, I can't wait to get there to eat all this food. That's not it at all. I think the greatest inheritance for those of us who are children of God is that it's Jesus Christ himself. 
See, that's the inheritance we're looking for. It's not the gift that we get because we're co-heirs with Jesus. It's the giver who is Jesus. That's what we're looking for, right? It's the giver himself. That's the greatest inheritance. See, it's what we long for, to see him face to face and to be with him. And listen to Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion, that is my inheritance forever. Think about it. What is it that makes heaven heaven, right? What is it that makes heaven heaven? It's not all the material things that we treasure in this world. We think we're going to be able to bring some of the, those kind of things with us. It's none of that at all. It's the closeness and nearness that we will have with God and God will have with us. I mean, that's Revelation 21, isn't it? He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. With them. With them as their God. I mean, it's a picture of you and I moving from this world filled with trials and temptations and difficulties and stresses and, and failures and disappointments and, and all kinds of terrible things to the open arms of our Heavenly Father who's waiting for us. And for all of eternity, we'll experience the closeness of His presence like we've never experienced here on earth. Now we get foretastes of it. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are his children. And so in those moments when we really do feel it, our hearts are overwhelmed at times, aren't they? By the love that we know that he has for us, by the presence that we experience that he puts within us. See, but that's just a tiny foretaste of what's going to happen when we get into our full inheritance, where we get everything that God was giving to his son, he's now giving to us, and we'll be able to dwell in the presence of God forever and know the full glory of the God that we worship now. I mean, what an inheritance we have waiting for us. We haven't been given complete knowledge of the fullness of what's waiting for us in heaven, but what we have been given is a foretaste through the Spirit putting within our spirits this eager longing to be able to get to that place where it really is our true home, living with our true family. And so it's a Spirit who confirms to our spirit that we really are sons and daughters of God. And the children of God who will one day receive everything that God wants us to have because he has chosen us as his adopted sons and adopted daughters. And on that day, we'll know what it's like to walk with God as time is no more and eternity goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And so today, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of the King of Kings, let me just say to you as we close, congratulations on your adoption.